It's car con carne. Let's eat in the car. It's car con carne. Welcome to Carcon Carne. I'm James Van Ossel. And for this very special episode, I'm joined by Brent Sopel. Brent is a retired professional hockey player. As a defenseman, he played professional hockey in the NHL, KHL, and AHL. In 2010, he won the Stanley Cup with the Chicago Blackhawks. Brent Sopel is dyslexic. He's also the founder of the Brent Sopel Foundation. And though he's known for playing professional hockey, he would like for his legacy to be that he did everything within his power to assist dyslexic children everywhere. This is another episode of the You Are Not Alone series in partnership with the Brent Sopel Foundation. And our guest this week is actor Kenny Johnson. He's done a ton of stuff on TV and in film, and you can currently see him as a third generation SWAT officer, Officer Dominique Luca, on the TV show SWAT. To see this interview in its entirety, you can visit the Brent Sopel Foundation page on Facebook or at Brent Sopel Foundation. Org. How did you go down that path? Where'd that? How did you come up with arm wrestling? Besides, I was a great arm wrestler at 3 a.m. drunk in the bar. But besides <laughs> that... <laughs> Until you crossed my path, man. I would, I would love to, like... I would love... That was the same guy who wrote this damn script. Um, yeah, believe it or not, dude. The guy wanted to be an actor so bad, and he was this yoked-out trainer. And there were all these huge steroided-out guys arm wrestling. And I just moved out here from going to college three and a half years in Connecticut, going to Boston for about three months. And then I flew out here to figure out what I'm going to do with my life. So I got a job at a Jack Lane's, which is a health spot. And I was a nutritionist there. So I was this, you know, 175 kind of skinny kid behind the nutrition bar making drinks. And these big arm, big guys were arm wrestling. And it was like right before they were closing down. And they were like, you know, 275, 300 pound guys just fucking going at it. Right. And I'm watching them. And also one guy dominated everyone. And he's like looking around and they're all adrenaled out, juiced out. And they're, what about you? What about you? And I'm like, and I never arm wrestled in my life. And I'm like 23. And I'm like, I said, dude, you're, you're going to, you know, I, I don't know. I've never arm wrestled. He goes, well, just effing try it. I'm like, but you're like twice my size, bro. He goes, just effing try it. And they started getting angry. So I just jumped over the bar, ran over. I thought I'll get, get my ass whooped. And, and I got adrenaled out. As soon as they, they said go, I, I flashed them in about a half second, right? And everyone's looking like, what the hell is that, right? And I just thought – That was weird. Yeah, so, yeah, I got fast twitch muscles, right? So my friend saw it, and he didn't tell me, but he found out where the world championships were that year, right? This is so stupid. This is, like, so weird. So one Saturday, he goes, oh, yeah, I'm taking you somewhere, like, uh, you know, for a surprise. I'm like, Okay. So we get in the car, we just drive hours and hours and hours. And I'm like, where are we going? He goes, it's a surprise. And I'm like, so we come up on the Civic Center after so many hours of driving. And they have world, world championships out in California at this particular place. And um, or they did back then. And we pull up and there's tons of cars. And I'm like, whoa, we're going to a concert. I'm like, I've never been to a concert. This is going to be really cool. So we get there and I'm like, well, who are we going to see? He goes, we're not anybody. I go, well, what do you mean? He goes, I signed you up for the world championships arm wrestling. I go, you did what? I go, he goes, I signed you up for the world. I said, bro, I've never arm wrestled in my life. He goes, yeah, but you beat that guy. I go, that's one guy. I go, I'm not, I don't even know if I'm any good or not. He goes, 
well, you're never going to know until you try it. I'm like going, oh, my God, you know. So, of course, you know, um, at the same time I was working the, the juice bar, I was with an agency modeling, right? So I go to the <laughs> – this is so stupid. I'm in this little mesh cutoff shirt, right, with these white freaking tight jeans on. And I sign up, and they're like, where are you from? And I just put Hollywood, even though I didn't live in Hollywood. They go, what do you do? I go model, and they, and they and whatever. So I fill it out. And then I get up there and they have weight classes. I wait in and then, uh, you know, they're going, okay, next class, blah, 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 to like 189. And they go next to the table from what they say, from Hollywood, California, model Kenny Johnson. And everyone started booing and yelling. And I'm in the wings and I hadn't come out yet. I'm like, fuck no. I said, I'm not going out there. They go, you got to go. I go, I'm not going out there, dude. Everyone's whistling and booing. And I'm like, I can't even believe that lady introduced me like that. I'm going, this is so messed up. And they, they're like, you have 60 seconds. And they count down. And the more they booed and the more they started calling me, like, you know, names that were kind of like bad, um, you know, <clears throat> whatever, you know. So I just, uh, I thought as a 10, 9, I thought, you know what? F this, man. So I just darted out to the table. I just sat up and they're like, you know, put me up. They, you know, told, explain the rules held the bar and they said, go. And I slammed the guy, walked out. Every time there were whistles or like this, you're like that, kill the model, kill the model. And I thought, this is so effing embarrassing. So I, it's a double elimination. I went against a guy that I was like this far from beating, held him there for about three minutes and I got tired, eventually lost. So I thought, okay, I'm in the loser's bracket. Won a few more times and then I go against someone else and I had have him about a half inch from being pinned and I'm, you know, maybe two, three minutes. And I'm, I couldn't quite get him down. I got tired. So I lost. So I'm like, okay, see, I suck. You know, I'm out. I'm out of the thing. I didn't, there's nothing. So this guy comes over that I had beaten and he says, listen, mate, he says, have you ever arm wrestled before? And I go, no, he goes, well, he says, you beat me and I'm the Australian champion. And he goes, you know, those two guys you lost to, I go, yeah, they go. One of them was the number two guy in the world. And the other one was number five guy in the world. And you were this close to pinning them. They go, and you've never arm wrestled. I go, no. And he said, let me train with you. So he ended up being Heath Ledger's uncle. So Heath Ledger's uncle trained me every year to get me ready for the championships. And uh, and, and, and it's weird. I didn't I, I love sports, but I didn't love arm wrestling because I think the they were a bunch of um, I don't know. They would scream at the refs. They were disrespectful. They would scream at each other. They would do things like almost getting fights up there. And I was used to at least sportsmanship and things that that were you know organized sports so i didn't understand what was going on and they'd be punching each other and slapping each other and they got up there and i would flash them and i'm thinking screw you dude you had you they're screaming at the refs how i cheated and you know i thought this sport is so weird so i would do it every year but it, it you know it was something that it was, i can't say it was the love of my life but i did it because i happened to be okay at it you know, and then I ended up winning the world championships one year, right-handed and left-handed uh, the year that I almost didn't go. Cause I thought, what am I trying to prove? Like, what am I doing with my life? I'm not even an arm wrestler. I'm an actor and I'm sitting there arm wrestling still. And, uh, and then that year I won it all. And, and uh, yeah, I think what I did, unfortunately for me, I felt nothing. I was like, number one, I'm up on the podium and I felt completely empty. And I thought I felt, I felt bad because people train all year long, like eight hours a day to become really good. And you get up there and annihilate them without trying. It just felt not right. You know, I thought it's cool to do as a hobby or if somebody challenge you, challenges you for money because they're like saying a bunch of shit about you. I'm good with that. But, but that, you know, that, that was it. That's my whole arm wrestling deal, dude. I, I like how you came out like a pro wrestling heel. 
like drawing heat from the crowd just just because <laughs> you're a model. Oh, dude, they were whistling, calling me the, the weirdest names. And, and when I'd seen pictures of what I was wearing, I'm like, OK, I get it. But they were they were vicious because they had a bodybuilding competition and arm wrestling in the same day. So you had that whole crowd and, and apparently that intro rubbed everybody the wrong way. <laughs> Plus, no one knew who I was. I'm showing up for the world championships and I'm in this turquoise mesh, you know, tank top that was so tight. And I'm like, so basically what's in style right now is what you were wearing back then. Hell yeah, dude. It's like hip and cool right now. Like no one would say anything, you know, and now it's accepted or back then it seemed like people were a little more harsh about everything, you know? <laughs> what did you tra- how did you train what was the training i don't know how do you train for arm wrestling besides do some curls and do some uh, kickbacks or what no i i you know it's arm wrestling against people who are as good as you or better in different weight classes gets you to be stronger in in a certain kind of way yeah, yeah learn techniques like for me for some reason, they say go. I'm I'm literally this far from pinning a guy by the time they even get the O out because yeah. like my hit is that fast for whatever reason. It just happens oh, to be you got fast stretch, fast stretch fiber for being an athlete. And and yeah, and then you just have uh, ligaments or tendon strength. Like you know, I, like I threw about 90, 91 in baseball in college, which is not bad, but it's not great. But I have these weird ligaments. So, like in football, I can't lift anything. But in college, I could tackle anybody from anywhere. And I could go anywhere and take anybody down. Like, no problem. Yet, if you put me in a gym, I cannot lift shit. I'm like, what is wrong? Like, I'm weak, you know? So, uh, lifting weights for me doesn't do anything. I mean, I'll do tons of, like, pull-ups and push-ups. But it's mostly practicing arm wrestling with guys. Because then when you get into a match that – I've gone into a match against a guy. He was, like, number two in the world and. We went eight minutes and we, I couldn't even feel my arm and they had to break us for before the you know finals. There were three of us and we couldn't win. And they brought us back after they did the quarterfinals with everyone else. And then we went back at it and literally this guy and I were locked. And if literally if you were to I, I pulled my arm down to let him win because I thought I can't even feel my arm. I go because if we're going to go against the world champion and I knew that guy and I knew how strong he was. I didn't have a chance, so I didn't care if I got second or third. I said, you go ahead, you know, because he's going to kill either one of us at this point, you know. I want to jump a little bit into your film career and TV career. The Shield was one of the best TV shows ever made. Discuss. Thanks, man. No, it it, it, hands down, Sean Ryan wrote a brilliant uh, script, and he did it when he was working on Nash Bridges, and he was under – Carlton Cuse, who Carlton, you know, created Bates Motel with Carrie Aaron. He did Lost. He had done Nash Bridges and gave Sean a shot at that show. And when Sean was like just driving around San Francisco, he kind of did his own take around the time when they had the Rampart, you know, scandal going on. So he just did a show and then pitched it to FX and they wanted to make it. And um, and that was something also which is weird is I had a um, I don't know, man. I mean, I had a thing like six months prior to that, that Deborah Quilla was going to cast me in something. And she had only done movies up until then as a casting director. She did like the Green Mile and Shawshank Redemption and films like that. And then all of a sudden I get a call saying, uh, oh, yeah. Well, anyways, yeah, she ended up casting me in, in that. And uh, that was like one of the hottest scripts in Hollywood. And so they made the pilot. They didn't think they were going to pick it up because it was a little risky and and um, it was just edgy. And I think what happened is we tested super high 
And they had this guy from 90210 that starred in this lawyer thing that tested super high. And they had one tested 95, one tested 95. They had to make a, cho make a choice. And I think Sean thought there's no way they're going to use him because ours just felt a little too, a little, just a little too risky and edgy. And they ended up going with it because they thought, you know, this is our first original script on TV and we might as well go with something. We're either going to fly or sink. And I think it was Rupert Murdoch told them, this is your choice. And, and they told this guy, Peter Liguori and Kevin Riley, who ran the network at that time, that if this doesn't go or it doesn't hit, you guys, you, you're pretty much done. And so they went with it anyways. In that first year, you know, we won Golden Globes. You know, Michael won an Emmy and a SAG Award, and he won a Golden Globe himself. But the show kind of changed the way people looked at television. And it was, you know, we were being sued by the FAA every week, and we were all on the front cover of the FAA about, you know, language content, about, you know, uh, just content in general. And, and then, um, you know, we had a lot of advertisers from the Bible Belt drop out, but they stuck with their guns. Like they thought we're going to be true and authentic to what we want to put out there. And I remember Sean sticking up for what he wrote because he goes, I'm not trying to do things for shock treatment. He goes, I'm just trying to be a storyteller and entertain. And he goes, I'm doing nothing to to shock anybody. I just want to literally go down a road without monitoring what we're doing, <clears throat> you know, to a degree. And so he did and they backed him like they did. They didn't give him any notes. They left him alone. And, you know, now that network FX, you know, is run by John Landgraf and they've stayed true all these years later, like what, 19 years later, 20 years later, they're still doing these authentic shows that they let the showrunners do what they do and then get out of their way and basically let the show run itself and let the writers and the creators, <clears throat> you know, pretty much say what they want to say. So that that really says a lot and yeah it was like a docudrama you know the way they shot it and the dp came up with a way of of never being on the guy who was talking and always being like a fly on the wall catching parts of conversations and that way as an audience member you just felt like you were in on a secret and being let in on every scene and you know we didn't really we didn't sean didn't want it lit well he wanted everyone not to be good looking kind of just look raw and authentic and then they would just, you know, edit it in ways that was like catching parts of a co secret conversation. And um, it's the way it kind of played. And we didn't we didn't rehearse. We kind of marked it and then just went. Didn't know who was shooting, who, when. We just went and did our stuff and trusted each other. And um, the show clicked. I mean, it was. Uh, what a time for television that? between The Shield, Sopranos, The Wire. I mean. That was the revolution yeah. right there. I mean, all the shows we like and enjoy today owe a debt of thanks, I think, to shows like The Shield back at the turn of the century. I, I Yeah, I feel like that's one of them. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I, The Wire, I, I think the guy who shot the pilot for that was Clark Johnson and Clark Johnson shot the pilot for The Shield also. So he had a very specific, edgy kind of raw feel to what he was going after. And, and I did, I think they really paved the way for everybody to, you know, to make, take a chance and go out there and, and, you know, television is what it is now because that was the start of it, <clears throat> but because there was no social media, not a lot of people know that they just think like, what is the shield? Like, who are they? And what did they, they didn't have, everyone thinks it was, uh, um, breaking bad. Like they think that they broke the barrier of everything, but that's right. Because social media started popping up right around when that was like, you know, starting to win awards and everything. So, but I, I think it did pave the way for a lot of uh, what we see now. I mean, FX, I mean, 
when I say FX is great, but I'm uh, like Netflix and all these originals that are people are putting a trademark on are so like twisted and dark and these like takes on on worlds and realities and the you know real things are the you know supernatural it's so intriguing to me i mean where they allow television to go now you know oh, yeah well let's talk about uh, another show in the shared shield universe let's talk about your life in swat like do we have you in a rare rare window right now are you are your days like 12 day 12 hour shoots what's your schedule look like for swat because of the pandemic, they're down to 10 hour days. So we we used to do like 14 hour days and now they're down to 10 because of the covid um, agreement. And then we just don't get any lunch break. So we kind of uh, don't shoot with all of us in the same time and they kind of break it up a little bit. So it's a great schedule. I mean, it's it's <laughs> it's one of the it's easiest. Diet you don't have lunch. That's why you're shredding and all jacked on the show. <laughs> Dude, whether they have lunch or not, I don't eat lunch. I'm like. I have a I have a weird tick about I can't eat there in the middle of the day when I'm working because if I come back I'm gonna be full I'm gonna be lethargic I'm gonna so I just drink iced coffee all day and Red Bulls and water. <laughs> I am. Yeah, you're are you a Red Bull kid too? I'll do like Dude, six like, or eight a day. So I told yeah. you another brother from another mother. That's it. It's done. <laughs> Shamar, Jay, and me. I think that's all we live on is those <laughs> effing Red Bulls all day long. Like we don't eat. It's Red Bulls. And then you sweat out like 12 pounds a day and you just drink that, you know. I, Wait, you know, tell me, I, are you going with the sugar-free or the regular? Uh, sugar-free now. Yes. But Listen, we need, yeah. to, we need to work on Red Bull here for a couple sponsorships here. I think yeah. I bought stocks. We've been retired a long time ago. <laughs> I know, right? Sugar-free is clean and it does yeah. the job, you know. There it is. It feels clean. It's like right to the point, you know. Perfect. 12 ounces. Okay, yeah. Kenny, you said earlier you're super picky about the parts you read for. Yeah. I mean, looking at the roles you played, whether it's Dominique Luca working a, a, as Curtis on The Shield or Sons of Anarchy, whatever, you seem to have a very clear vision of who you are and what, what you want to be as an actor. So I guess the question is, what is your vision of yourself? How do you perceive yourself as an actor, as a as a commodity you know, that's interesting. I really don't know. I don't I don't really perceive myself as, it, 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 you know, I don't I don't have I know the kind of parts I like and I know things that intrigue me. And I know when I because I could say it a million times over, I'm never going to get exactly what I would put out there. But if I know the kind of um, topics and issues and kind of uh, <clears throat> um, character relationships within something and writing that speaks to you it's like writing skeleton and these characters that are very different in touch touch on topics that normally are not discussed or out in the open and for some reason they those are the things that speak to me and then if if it happens to be in my age range or in my energy or whatever I, you know those are the ones that i try to find the right managers and agents to only send me those scripts and at that point i still don't know and a lot of like you know getting bates motel was like you know, going from SOA to doing a um, um, a remake of Prime Suspect uh, with with Maria Bello to that creator, then writing for Carlton Cuse and Carrie Aaron on on Bates Motel for that really dysfunctional character. But it de delved into a world that was so twisted and dark that it intrigued me. And then mm -hmm. it got to touch a little bit on my personal thing of, of my experience of what happened to me. And my best friend at a very young age, you know, and, and how I never have got to 
deal with it, you know, and yet I could breathe through a character to kind of just understand a little bit of something and, and um, humanize the character. That was a really messed up dark character. And even though like, let's say we were the victims at five years old, you know, it left so many weird scars and dysfunctions in my normal life that I've been trying to still to this day to come to terms with, an old, you know, just be okay as a human being about it, that it just felt like, uh, I don't know. I mean, to me, it was creatively pretty genius. And then when they, they, you know, they threw out the idea, I just thought, oh man, this is, this is such a dark, twisted, awesome thing. But at the, at the other end, I'm like, well, this guy's a monster. How do, how do I humanize it? You know? And then I had to just, you know, use the creative mind to just come up with a million ways to understand why someone would get to the point of what happened, happened. And, uh, and then, cre you know, create your own back world from the age you were, you know, for when you were born all the way up to where you're at and what happened every year of the first five years to 10 to 15. And then if you could create something that would then maybe turn into the guy who you're playing, then that for me thought I'm breathing a, a, a truthful life to the character, you know, and some people, might hate it or like it, but I learned from Holly Hunter. I remember, you know, trying to like do a character with her for four years. And anytime she would catch me trying to not go all the way into that place of being uncomfortable or, or dark, she would get in my face and say, you know what? Screw what people think about you. You have to stay true to the character no matter what you do. You stay true and do not try to people please anybody. And so I thought, okay, you know, I'll just dive in and, and people will either understand it or not understand it but yeah i'm not here to particularly be liked i'm here to be authentic to what somebody wrote you know and then bring humanity to it if that makes any sense yeah i, I think what makes horror really interesting and specifically bates motel it, it's a situation where you can see it existing in the real world I, there, there's a case to be made for monster movies and all that but that that psychological horror that that deeply disturbing you can yeah. imagine it happening next door. That's what makes really effective horror. Yeah. Yeah. Talk a little bit about how speaking of horror. Oh, it was a, you know, a twisted take on um, little red riding hood and um, you know, it, but an adult version and a, a girl who's suicidal and she's got this um, she's in an institution and she fl has flashbacks to when she grew up and what happened to her. And so it, you know, you end up at the end of the movie not knowing whether this is reality or not reality and what everything she, you know, experienced was real or not real. So it's kind of a twisted psychological thriller that that um, brings you on that journey. And and um, and my daughter got to play the young uh, little red in it. And then the girl, Michelle Martin, who wrote and directed it played uh the older version and uh they asked me to play I, I they offered me two roles and one was to play her brother which was you know i was shooting at the time so i couldn't do that but there was a smaller role of levi and levi is the the alpha wolf who is the dad of this girl little red riding hood and he transforms from you know the alpha wolf that's been protecting and watching her her, her whole life and she doesn't know that she came from a, a wolf dad that morphs into human and wolf and then a regular major uh, religious Christian mother who then condemned the girl when she realized that the dad was who he was. So um, yeah, it's, it's kind of weird and twisted, but it, it intrigues me. I mean, is I can breathe in that world. Your daughter? Yeah, this is the third movie I've done with her. So awesome. I've done three movies and, um, and then she reoccurs on 
SWAT as the girl who's dyslexic, you know? And so the writers took my story yeah. and applied yeah. to her, you know? <laughs> And and my character Luca understands it because he had you know they wrote it that I I found out when I was fourteen but had all the same issues and so the creator Sean Ryan knew that about me for like twenty years and he just thought you know what I'm gonna dive into this thing with a single mom little girl and and have Luca kind of discover it and try to help her and that way we could address the uh, the whole dyslexia thing and the good the weird thing about it is here we're on this adrenal cop show and when they tested that season which we got, you know, it, it tested really high in a lot of places, but that was one of two storylines in that entire season that tested the highest was the working with the kids that had disabilities. And I thought, how how beautiful. I mean, Sean came to me, said, this was one of the highest tested things like this season. And I was like, wow. I go, what a simple thing like that touches a lot more people than you know. And, and I, that's a pretty beautiful thing, you know? You know, our world, it's obviously one in five but the rest of the world don't, don't know how to handle us. So as cops, when you're walking onto a scene and you don't, you know, you don't fully understand what's going through their head and you right. and I can feel that we can feel what other people are going through. We can feel yep. other pain, you know? So you're, you solved half the problem before you walked in there as right. I mean, in real life, most cops can't do that because they're not like you and I on the dyslexic end. Yep. That's funny you said that because, you know, from when I was a little kid, part of my OCD was like I could feel other people's energies and feelings and and they would haunt me where they would kind of get into me and I would literally morph into those people. And I thought I would see their hands and their face. I would it, it sounds so strange, but I mean, it was like I was always trying to protect myself from other people's energies because they would just shoot inside of me. And I felt like. I knew everything about them and, and, and I didn't want to feel that because it was so overwhelming and it felt vi violating in a way. Yeah. So it's, it's funny as I got older, I, I can put something up to feel okay around people. But like you say, you, you, have, you also have that sixth sense of, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so weird. You said that. 100%. And then, yeah. you know, my buddy, I, you know, I brought his kid a signed pennant from the Blackhawks and he, I'm like, Hey, give it to him. He's like, how did you know he's struggling? I'm like, you don't have to tell me. I can feel it. Right. And, you know, sure enough, he's like, you and I dyslexic and, you know, the things going on. But my buddy looked at me like I had 10 heads. <laughs> How the hell did you know that? You know, and that's right. just, that's what we feel, you know, and uh, we get, you know, people look at me with the old twisted head, like, you're weird, man. Yeah, yeah, I am weird, but you know what? I'm, I'm here to help people. <laughs> I love it. That's a perfect way of putting that. Yeah, I mean, putting it is like, yeah, me and my friend Ryan Hurst and Ryan has a lot of uh, I have premonitions when I'm awake and they come true to a T people places things since I was four years old. He has them when he sleeps and they come this to a T they come true. So we we talk in a way that people look at us like we're weird and they think we're weird. And but he and I totally breathe the same air. And we float in these ethers and understand something where everyone's like, you guys are effing weird, man. And I'm like. It's just like, you know, I'm like, oh, man, it's just like we're just, you know, it is what it is. And, you know, but that that's funny you said that. And that's why all your shows that you've done speak to me. Dexter, Law and Order, Scholar Fire, SWAT. That's, you know, you're talking to me, in, you know, in, in a version of yourself right there by your characters. Uh, well, thank thank you. Thanks, man. I mean, some of the some of the shows. Yeah. Some of the shows. Yeah. And then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. Well, you've also back in the present day, comic book movies, TV shows are everywhere. You can't avoid them. Back in the 90s, Blade was 
one of the few movies in the genre. They, they Blade really kind of set the tone for everything. You kind of planted your flag early with comic books. You were there for Blade. You're on Smallville. You did the Aquaman pilot. Is there a, a superhero role you, you think floating out there? That would be cool. That, that would be like so dope if I could I could do that. I'm, I've auditioned for like one or two um, in big films, but they usually go with name people. So it, <clears throat> nothing's happened yet. But the Blade thing was that that was awesome. That was a one line thing that turned into the director being from, uh, you know, England, just saying, ah, just improvise, make it up as you go. He's just like, may, may, just say whatever you want. So I remember talking through like first 10 minutes of that intro of the scene I made everything up that wasn't written there. And uh, the only thing that was written is where Tracy Lords and I were in the car and she grabs me between my legs and then says whatever she says. That was the only written thing. Everything else I made up in that thing. And so I thought, you know, when Marvel was about to go under that show actually, right. or that movie ended really? up starting kind of starting the comeback of what Marvel was, you know, which is wild. I would love to, I mean, again, you know, that, that genre is really cool and interesting, but they, they've got, you know, those guys like uh, Hemsworth and, uh, you know, a lot of guys that are already huge icons and the studios usually go with them. But would I like to do something like that? Hell yeah, man. You know, what, what would be the ideal character then? You know, if you could pick, who would it be? Yeah. Um, fuck yeah I don't know, man. That's a, <laughs> a loaded question. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, I don't I don't know. I mean. I remember auditioning for uh, what is that Ryan Reynolds? Uh, those two movie, what is it? Deadpool. Green yeah, Hansen? Deadpool. So for uh, Brolin's role, I mean, I, I I was up for that, but they went with Brolin, and I thought that would be an interesting character to play. You know, I, Cable, I would. Yeah, yeah, I, I I liked him, and then I was gonna go into um, you know, I mean, it's a different world, but um, season four, Glenn Mazzara was uh, running um. What was it? Uh, Walking Dead. Frank Darabont had just gotten fired. And so uh, Missouri took over in season four. I was going to come on as one of their new characters that were in the comic books. And I was really pumped for that. And then they got rid of him literally before they came back and thought, well, we don't need anybody show running now. We It's doing like 17 million viewers a week so we can self run it ourselves. And they get and he kind of floored him. And so when he exited that my character exited and that that was going to be my my you know my my jump into uh that world but it didn't quite happen so here i know i know your time is valuable we're you know these 10 hour days drink a nice coffee and rebel and you know um obviously you know appreciate it you know uh, i got one last question would you have any interest in in being a part of my foundation you know in u.s in Canada, around the world, to to continue to inspire dyslexics, to to advocate for them and be there to to support them. Would you have any interest to furthering that conversation? Hundred percent, dude. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. I I always want to help, but I don't know who to even talk to to help. So the fact that you know I was like lucky enough to come on here and probably babble through my stuff because uh, I I talk a lot when I get nervous. So. You know, I, I would love to help in any way I could. Well, love to be that first off, you didn't babble. I understood everything, you know, to a T of what you were saying. You know, okay. um, it's like I said, I like, yeah, joke about, it, you know, brother from another mother, but I understand everything you're, what you're saying. So you're definitely not babbling. Uh, it was an honor to be on here, <laughs> take an hour of your time. And, um, 
you know, um, listen to your story and, and you know, and, and connect in a way that I've never connected with anybody else. So um, I couldn't be thankful. James? Yeah, no, we're good. We're good. We, we're, I'll stop recording now.